0: Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 12. As always, uh, we're, we're accompanied here with a great pleasure Uh everyone's favorite boomer Keith Dicker with ice cap asset management uh he's wearing his new Christmas sweater um was spoiled this year clearly and then we've got Rich Diaz uh the Tom Brady of macro uh with acorn macro research uh looking looking you know he's still at school there but uh Rich, you're, you're still overseas where, where are you at right now
1: I'm in uh, Portugal I'm in my mom's um, hometown uh, it's called Sant Antonio, and it's a quite poor, quite rural um, farming village in the mountains, sort of a nature reserve um, up in the mountains, and it's absolutely beautiful. I love it. i, I bringing the macro
0: it. to Portugal to, to <laughs> the fine Portuguese
1: people. I'm getting in the way of my uncle as he tries to farm uh, some cattle and some, some goats and some pigs and stuff, and I usually just yeah. get to know his way.
0: Rich is uh, Rich has decided to start living off the grid. Uh, he's he's sick of all this COVID stuff. So uh, we we lost know, him for.
2: for a- it looks to me, Rich, like you're in the uh, the high school locker room from that movie Porky's back a few years ago. <laughs> Keith,
0: I love that film. <laughs> I know is that it's funny film stuff, from right? the 1940s or what? I've never heard
2: of it. It it would be canceled
1: before it even hit the theaters, but it is wholly inappropriate, um, extremely sexist, quite bigoted and absolutely hilarious. And I would recommend everybody to see it.
0: All right. There it is. Uh, Your first recommendation of 2022. Um, Yeah. Everyone bear with me here. I've got, uh, I don't know what a cold or potentially COVID we'll find out soon enough. Um, But uh, that kind of brings us to, yeah, we talked about on, on last week's uh, show. We, we, drifted into a little bit ever so cautiously uh, just on how governments would react, Um, you know, rising COVID cases. It's all about the case count. It's not about, you know, hospitalizations, at least in the government's eyes and um, our beloved Canadian pastime uh, every, every Christmas, every, every Christmas holiday, new year holiday in Canada. I always enjoy the uh, world juniors, and of course that, uh, tournament, if you're not familiar with it <clears throat> was actually, they started it, uh, got two games in, uh, and then just outright canceled the tournament. So, uh, just kind of goes to show you that that's kind of what we're, we're dealing with right now. Um, you know, we're seeing all these events canceled flights. Uh, I'm in Palm Springs right now. Uh, a whole bunch of flights actually, they're having a hard time staffing, um, pilots and, and crew because all everyone's coming up catching COVID and everything and and having to go through these quarantine measures and so yeah it's it's actually I think they like I have cousins that are here right now they had to change their flights last minute to try to get out of here because every they just everyone's just canceling flights um and of course you, the cd was it the cdc rich uh well they just changed their quarantine time now from 10 days to five so and you can see like the sports leagues now the nhl just adopted that as well um because everyone's just you know they had to bring in like new taxi squad rules you can add players and they've cut the time down to five days for asim so this is definitely something that we're kind of dealing through here i don't know if you guys have any opinions at least from uh additional opinions here, um, as things have progressed since our last episode on how this will play out from an economic, uh, standpoint and central banker standpoint, etc.
2: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, so first of all, it's playing out exactly the way that we thought it would over the last few weeks. You know, we're increasingly, you're getting more shutdowns or socially it's becoming unacceptable to do certain things. And, um, you know, it's 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 in the psyche here. As I like to say, I'm here in Nova Scotia and people love COVID here. They're they're all geared up to follow all the rules and and, and that's great. I mean, you wanna make sure you, you keep people safe, but it's it's overriding everything. I think that's one of the reasons why Rich decided to to stay overseas for a while. But I think that we all know though, um, what's this now, the fourth wave, fifth wave? I don't know what it is, but th- this will be over in a, in a couple of weeks. Cases will peak. And cases is what's most important to, to everyone w- with this conversation. So, um, you know, I, I think the worst is, almost, we're hitting like the trough of it right now. Rich. Be
0: yeah, no, Keith, that's a good point. I mean, Rich, you're the data guy there. I know you're, you've are you been tracking it, I think, globally. I mean, do you have any sort of insights for for any of the listeners? I mean, I think, what, South Africa, I think is reporting a, a drop-off in Case count, I mean, hospitalizations still haven't moved as far as I'm aware, but I don't know if you can update us, uh, anything you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I mean, all I can say is the vaccine works and cases are a bad KPI, you know, not to beat an old, not to beat a dead horse or one of my uh, uncle's dead pigs. But, um, you know, the case counts are skyrocketing in Canada, as we've talked about quite a bit. Um, but the, the deaths, um, you know, not to be morbid, but that's, and are, are falling and the, crucially the hospitalizations, which have gone ticked up slightly, um, remain extremely, um, you know, well within any normal range of the past, you know, X amount of, um, months, um, and getting into two years now, um, as far as South Africa, I don't really know too much about south africa sorry it's not on my radar but i do have a friend who's south african she's lovely you know equity analyst actually from old mutual there's a free plug for her um but they've sort of stopped all those restrictions um you know they they burnt through the economy and uh, burnt through the the country and it was actually not as bad as people had anticipated um and she's sort of back to normal um but you know keen to get the booster and um, people are still taking some precautions but I think that it's just a different sort of mindset, you know, um, I think emerging markets have a much more stoic, much more um, holistic approach to risk and death and um, don't have a, the privilege of a central bank to bail out their government. So,
2: um, hey, you know, hey, guys, did, did you see the um, th- th- that's true? It? Did you see the report or the analysis came out? It was comparing Sweden to Austria. Did we talk about that last week? I don't remember. I don't think so. No. Uh, did you guys see that report that came out? No. Nope. nope. So so the real short version of it is both countries have about the same vaccination level, like seventy-two percent, seventy-four, or something like that. Uh one country though decided, you know what, we're gonna, you know, protect the vulnerable, everyone else, you know, get on with it. And the other country went to the extreme, and said, Hey, we're we're shutting down everyone. And I think they may I think Austria may have also introduced the probability of even getting prison time if you're not vaccinated and things like that. Um, so, you know, one, one European, and they're very similar in terms of density profiles for population and, and you know, all these different things. Um, so the outcome of that is there are COVID exposures and, and deaths and everything like that. They're they're very similar. There's not a big difference between the two countries. So here's one that's locked everything down or locked it up, and the other one that hasn't. And you know, it sort of ties into like one of the other articles I saw this month. Like this was in the Times, in the New York Times. They're talking about like the increase in mental uh, mental health for a lot of high school students. Um, I know here locally, there's been some suicides and like just horrible stories and all these 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 negative knock on effects that are happening, but again, like we're we're not considering that the current solution may not be the correct one to make. Uh, but again we keep going back to hey, what are policymakers going to do? And um they're know, going to ignore America, all the they're gonna ignore all of those the cost benefit um, analysis. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. But here in Nova Scotia, you sort of got the impression last week that um you know the, the government's trying to pivot a little bit. And um, you know, there's now suggesting you know, unless you have symptoms, you, you don't need to get one of those rapid tests done. Uh, if, if they're sort of walk, trying to walk it back a little bit, now they've gone so far out there, it's it's pretty hard to make the turn. But uh, you know, that's that's where they're headed with it.
0: You know, one of the things, just to kind of quickly touch on that, the one the one thing that I have really come to appreciate. Uh, especially, you know, as it went deeper, deeper down the sort of finance space many years ago, but people in finance, like you know, Rich, Keith, you know, you guys are responsible for managing, basically, essentially managing money, right? You're set, you're rich, you know, you're providing advice to people so they can use that advice and, and research to make money, and people in the finance space you basically you're basically almost forced to be agnostic like if you actually care about like protecting and preserving your client's capital like you basically have to seek out the truth and figure out how to make basically make money off of that um and so that's the one thing i've always come to appreciate is people in the finance space like you almost have to keep your politics out of it and you just you, know, you can, you, if you, if you say, okay, this is the wrong decision, they're overreacting. You can, you know, you can just opt to go short or or whatever or long, like you, you can just, there's so many ways to sort of make these bets. And so that's the one thing I've always come to appreciate. I, I subscribe to a lot of independent research and it's for that reason. It's like, I just need someone to just filter through the noise and tell me what it is. I don't need, you know, the Canadian media, the CBC to tell me how to think. I just want to know what is the truth and basically try to make money off of that.
1: So, so Steve, I, I'm guilty of romanticizing the financial services industry. So this is my disclaimer, but I really agree. I think so the way that he, it's being agnostic, I think is so important. Um, Keith always harps on this and I think he's right, which is to say, it's not about what should be, it's about what is. And in order to have that assessment, you need to be dispassionate and sort of just assess the other thing i'd say i definitely try to seek the truth whatever that might be again forgive me for romanticizing my life's work but the key thing for me the most important thing i think and i don't know if keith will share this view is if you're wrong you have to change your mind if the if you have a, a you have some kind of a priori assumption about an economy or a stock market or an index or the dollar or interest rate and you are shown and you do research you need to just admit that you're wrong, pivot, and move on with your life. And I find my big beef with politics in general is that there is no room for that. And why I love markets is because if you don't admit that you're wrong and change your mind, you go broke and you lose clients and you lose money. And that's I don't know. Skin for me, that's skin in the game. You just have to change your mind when the data changes, you just have to.
2: That's it. I mean, I don't know, Keith. If you have well, I think what's Really great today for everyone is that you now have access to information and, and thoughts and ideas that can help you change your mind. So right now in you know December twenty one, you know, that that's out there. You just have to turn on your device in the morning and you you have immediate access to it, such as you know the Looney loony Hour Looney Show. What are we calling this? Looney Hour, <laughs> Looney Hour. Okay, here we go. And uh, however, let me tell you a story. Uh, so back in 2004, I was in Zurich. Uh, for a CFA conference. And uh, by the way, do you know why the why Zurich is spelled with a Z? <sighs> Go on, <laughs> it's a snoozy town. My there it is.
0: There's the boomer joke yeah. at
2: least one, at least one,
0: one per episode. Everybody
2: gets one. You get one, okay? Continue. So, so you're in Zurich. So watch what- yeah, absolutely. It has to tie in with, with this conversation. So like, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm at this place uh, and the guy I'm sitting next to, uh, one, one of my great mates, a Canadian, and one of the, he's with one of the big banks at the time. And I was living offshore, so I wasn't in Canada at the time. So uh, we're going through the list who's presenting. He said, boy, I can't wait to listen to Abby Joseph Cohen. So if you don't know that name, she was with Goldman. She was head of research and she, she made her name during the, the tech bubble. Like She was like rah rah raw, equities all the time and whatever. And I'm looking at, I'm like, I don't care about her anymore. Like she, she wasn't able to change her mind and she's mainstream. I said, but this other guy, I really want to hear him. I heard of him before, but I don't quite know who, who it is. It was Mark Farber. So if you guys remember Mark Farber. Yeah. And um, so he, he took the stage for his thing and he just killed it. I said, holy! this is when I was introduced to global macro. He started talking about things I've never even considered before. And he, he stuck out. Like, a, you know, like the sore thumb compared to everyone else. And what really made me appreciate, it doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong, I've used that he was forcing me to think differently. Uh, one of the last speakers was, um, uh, geez, I forget the guys. The guy with, uh, is it Euro Asia, Euro Group? Printer. What, what's his name? What oh, Say that know. again? Uh, his surname is Brenner. Oh, I forget his first name now. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say like Peter Schiff or Martin Armstrong or something. No, 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 no. Um, I uh, forget that guy's name. Anyway, and he gets like, he's wrapping up the conference and, and he basically, you know, starts knocking Faber, you know, yeah, called him, yeah, the, the, this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's when I knew. I said, wow, like, because these guys were representing mainstream views and thoughts and, and all that stuff. And then here's a guy that goes against the grain in the mainstream side of the business, they were very anti him. Like they were telling you, don't don't listen to anything outside that what we're, Ian Brenner, Ina Brenner that's his I name. I know that guy, Ian. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, anyway, that, that's what happened. Now here we are, you know, like 15, 20 years later, what we're coming up to. And now you have so many other like Mark Faber type guys, the guys with original thinking, different thinking you have access to. So you now as Rich said, you and the hardest thing to do in the investment world is change your mind. It is so hard. It it really is. However, once you do it once, it becomes easier to do. And so, for example, like I wake up every morning and with, with our team and say, okay, what has changed? Convince us that our view on this market has changed or on that market has changed. And if it's, it's you know, and you never get like a black and white decision. It's like, oh wow, yeah, we have to change. I think things happen gradually, but if you can line them all up, you can see wow, you know, this, this tide has turned. Like we've been talking about with the, with the Fed, with raising rates, of course. Like, I think that's one of the biggest stories of the year. So um, anyway, there, there we go. You got oh, the story, I mean, hey, right? Hey, I got, I got
0: probably my name initially getting super popular. It's just I was the Canadian housing bear. So selling real estate, but probably bearish. And I think over the last 15, 16 months, I've been the biggest bull in the room. And everyone, yeah, you know, everyone's oh, this guy's a shill now, you know, <laughs> changes. My hands like, hey, man, like price action speaks for itself. I mean, um, which which we'll certainly get into because, uh, on this show, we uh we decided to, to spice things up here for, for the listeners heading into 2022. Um, we wanted to touch on um, what are we calling it, the over under show? Um, basically, the one, one event that we so we each get two picks. Uh, I get, you know, we get to pick one event that we feel is going to be a high probability event and a low probability event. And so, um,
2: I don't know who wants to start it off. Well, in, in, in my house, whenever we do anything, we always say the youngest goes first. So you always, my daughter always gets to go first on, on stuff. Okay. No, it was naturally can, can tick some of us off. I it's, like that know, the first choice of the food or something. <laughs> so uh, all right well, so let's, i, let's so I guess i'm not first right
1: <laughs> i will I think that's I'll, you steve <laughs>
2: yeah no kidding um
0: <laughs> keith's got about 80 years on me uh, um uh, i'll i'll start I'll, I'll keep it uh i'll stay in my lane here i'll, I'll stick to the as we just talked about the housing front um so i think i've been writing about this quite a bit in my reports recently um which mostly focus on Vancouver, but even from a national perspective, I would say that a high probability event, I think the the condo market is actually going to outperform the single family detached housing market. Uh, So if you looked over the last, you know, basically throughout the pandemic is what happened is um, everybody's been looking for more space because you're working from home. Um, And so the single family housing market's, outperformed, particularly in the suburbs, right? People have been migrating away from, from downtown workplaces, going to the suburbs, buying larger homes. And that's really, really inflated uh, values where, you know, since the pandemic, it's not unreasonable to see houses in some of these suburbs are up 40 to 50% um, over the last 18 months, which is obscene. And it's getting to that point now where I think you have really overvaluation Prices are too high, or it's the spread doesn't make any sense. And I think people, similar to the last housing bull market we saw here in two thousand sixteen, what happens is that 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 detached market gets so expensive, um, so competitive that it actually ends up pricing people out, and so that ends ends up falling and filtering down. So people say, okay, I can no longer afford this detached house I must go one lower and that's the townhouse market we've already seen that price inflation in the townhouse market then it goes one lower and say okay I get price out of the townhouse market I just got to get something I got to get anything I just got to get in because if I don't get in I'll never get in so if I can just get in in five years I'll lever up and get my detached house then and so what happens is then you start to see the condo market um We so we saw this in Vancouver in 2016 right I mean the detached housing market uh, peaked out in 2016. I would say prices actually were flat to down in 2017. Uh, yet condo prices increased 20 to 25 percent that year. So that's kind of my uh, prediction for a high conviction bet in
2: 2022. Steve, I have a question for you: Is um, is a condo a good investment overall in terms of you know because you have to pay your condo fees and everything on a regular basis? But in terms of a, you know, a uh, just a standalone house, if you want to get in and out and, and flipping, is there much of a difference going condo versus just a regular house?
0: Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Um, Do you know what I mean? Am
2: I is it a stupid question or are you? No, you know, no, I think it it's a really good question. Yeah, it's
0: a really, really good question.
2: Um, personally, I'm probably like rich. I'm
0: a bit of a free market, right? more, more, more. I, I just like, I like my, like, like the, the freedom of like owning your own asset and like having land. I think that's where all the value is. I don't like being at the helm of a condo strataboard telling me what I can and cannot do with the property. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I still own condos, but you're it's at their been mercy. A good invest- you're at their mercy. Like, you know, I look at some of these, I go through some of these balance sheets, these strata documents, and they go, okay, they're undercapitalized and they're mandated by the governments. So they're like in BC, right? You're mandated by the BC government that if you have a contingency reserve fund, so for example, downtown Vancouver, you're in a high rise, they have a million dollar contingency fund. They are mandated to have that contingency fund of a million dollars parked in basically bonds and GICs what's well, it's like you're earning, so you have a million dollar contingency fund that's earning you less than 1% per year. Did
2: you say, did you say bonds? Yeah. <laughs> did you say the bond market? That settles it. I'm not buying a the, condo.
0: Right, less than 1%. I, I, but like, think about it. Like, Real estate materials and labor to repair these buildings is going up 5 6% a year minimum. So in Vancouver now, get Vancouver and Toronto, historically, condos have been a very good investment. Um, now again, if you go to Calgary, uh, where I have some invest, I don't have condos there, but, uh, you can just build condos forever. You can just keep going and building out more and more. And condos have been the worst investment, um, in Alberta over the last 10 plus years. So again, perfect world, uh, at least I can say in Vancouver, There's actually nowhere to really build out. So you actually can't really build more new single family communities. We don't build new single family houses. Uh, So we have to go up. And so I would argue that's why there's still some profitability in the condo market. But um, over a long horizon, uh, detached housing will do significantly better.
2: Okay. So Steve Cerewski says, go long condos and short single family dwellings in
0: 22. On a On a short term basis, yes, I think this world will outperform in the short term. Over the long run, uh, you're much going to be much better off in a detached house. However, uh, so now getting to my uh, low probability event, um, sticking with the Canadian theme here, we were talking about this at the beginning of the show. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Bank of Canada, so the market is pricing in the Bank of Canada to raise rates by five times by the end of 2022. So by the end of 2022, the overnight rate will be uh 5 times 25 what, 125 basis points higher. Is that correct? So, I will take in, the under in, on in that. In my
2: mathematical world, that is it's, it's close. <laughs> I will take that's the good.
0: I'll take the under on that. I think that's uh far 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 too optimistic. I just don't think that they're going to get anywhere close. I think they'll probably uh, if I have to take a stab at this, I think the bank of Canada will get two to three rate hikes then in 2022. And they'll get stomped out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who's up, Rich? Like, next.
1: All right. So let's just to recap, so we're going to give two sort of predictions. One is a high probability event. So what we think is extremely likely to happen, right? And then a the low probability event, something that's maybe unlikely to happen, but possible. I think that's right. So my yeah. high probability event is that the Democrats in the United States... Um, oh, sorry, let me give some... So there's going to be a midterm elections on November 8th, I believe, um, in 2022. Um, so every four years, um, there's obviously a presidential election and every four years, but offset by two, um, is something called the midterms. People don't know. Uh, there are hundred Senate seats. There's like 530 odd um, congressional seats in the lower house um and senates have you know six-year terms congressional um representatives have two-year terms and so you have a midterm election and it's sort of you're sort of looking at you know you're just testing the waters with respect to policy decisions and um and often i mean i guess maybe it's a high probability event um that i think the democrats are going to get absolutely trounced (laughs) and they're going to lose both the lower house, the Congress and the upper house, the Senate. And why is that important for me as a strategist, as a markets guy, because for me, what I care about is gridlock. So firstly, why do I think that it's highly probable? Number one, um, you know, Donald Trump's approval at his midterms was 37%, depending on who you ask. Biden's is 42. So definitely within, you know, you're very close to basically Donald Trump's approval. So Um, I mean, the media likes Joe Biden, not going to get into that. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, he's not doing much better on the approval, right or wrong. I mean, I'm I'm not interested in in why, I'm just interested in what is. Um, And the other thing is, I think that the Democrats have overplayed their hand. I think people and, you know, everything that I've read, everything I've understood is that people don't necessarily want, you know, you know, extremely leftist policy. What they wanted to do is get rid of Donald Trump, and they executed on that. Um, and now, the, I think Democrats, you know, having the lower house, Senate, and the president, uh, president, um, sorry, the the executive branch, they've overplayed their hands and they've tried to push a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm not going to get into the politics that so you know you can look it up yourself, but they pushed pushed a lot of stuff that just frankly people didn't want. And I think what's really, really interesting now going forward um, is how that midterm election plays out. And so why do I care? Because gridlock, I think, is bad for markets. Historically, there's been a lot of research people have done for this. You know, when you have all three houses, the most important economy in the world, all sort of pulling together in the right direction, you may not like that direction, but that's irrelevant. It's that they're all in the the same direction. You generally have sort of clear policy um, vision. Um, you have some kind of, um, you know, you can forecast to some degree where you think that policy is going and that helps you sort of get some clarity with respect to markets and which sectors may or may not do well and earnings, et cetera. When you have that gridlock and there's much, much more kind of acrimonious horse trading, it's much, you, you lose that clarity. And I think markets in general don't tend to like it now, again, you know, past, um, you know, past examples are not necessarily predictive of future results, but, I think it's just something that I think is highly probable that there's going to be a switch in the Senate and in the lower house. Um, My, oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you want to, do you want to touch on the gridlock? Just like I said, obviously we've got Canadian listeners here,
0: maybe less familiar with midterm elections, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, just to kind of chime in there, I think you're talking about gridlock in terms of what the Democrats can pass, right? So fiscal spending bills, et cetera. Obviously, I think we're in a world dominated by uh, monetary and fiscal policy, uh, particularly fiscal policy now, because you've already got rates at zero. Um, Central bankers need uh, government to run these massive fiscal deficits, fiscal spending uh, in order to generate or try to generate uh, meaningful growth.
1: Yeah. So that, that's a really that good you're point. To, yeah. So that's, so that's, so the way it works in the U S is you have, and it's similar in Canada, but obviously, you know, the prime minister, thank God doesn't have a veto um, in, in Canada, you know, you, sorry, in the U S you've got, you know, Congress writes a bill. I mean, both houses can write bills. They submit it to one another. They basically vote on it approve and then it gets passed up the chain and eventually it's signed into law there's if you're my age you have when you watch saturday morning cartoons there was a great um a cartoon on like abc saturday morning it was like how a bill becomes a law so i would recommend everyone google how a bill becomes a law it's a great cartoon from like the 90s um it's very funny it's wonderful maybe we'll put it in the in the, in the description page of the youtube video but um that is exactly how that works and when the issue with the united states is if you have let's say this a, Re- a republican senate and democratic congress and a democratic um, um president or you know two of the opposition and one president that's you know let's say Dem- you know democrat or whatever it is as long as they're not three in you know you know contiguous parties the same going all in one direction you can have serious serious battles and it, it dilutes any kind of policy action. It stalls the policy action. you can have government shutdowns, et cetera, et cetera. that go on forever. And the clear thing for me as an analyst and as a strategist is you just lose the visibility. So whether or not you agree with the government you know profligacy is irrelevant. What was clear at the onset of the Biden administration is that was that is the direction that the train was going. Now you could think it's bad, you could think it's good, it's irrelevant. That was the train. That's the direction it's going. And so in a sense, you, it was easy to say, okay, that's, you know, for, you know, George Bush, it was deregulation. Okay. And then it was, you know, fiscal spending here and there and whatever it is. And so for me, it's the idea that you, we don't actually know what will happen with respect to the election. And if it is the outcome that I, you know, predict and it's, you know, uh, you have a democratic president, Joe Biden, and then you have a Republican Senate and a Republican Congress, then it's not at all clear what policy direction the United States will go. And that affects Canadians because of trade that affects Canadians because of energy that affects Canadians because fiscal spending in the United States trickles into other economies, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know if you guys have good.
0: Yeah. Tom, Tom Brady, ladies
2: and gentlemen. (laughs) Um,
1: I have a, (laughs)
2: uh, I have an observation. Uh, So my key takeaway from, from Rich's uh, high probability event, what what I heard, maybe I didn't hear this quite right but again i'm trying to you know take this in here you were watching cartoons in the 90s <laughs> yes i was born in 85. <laughs> oh dear i was not watching cartoons in the 90s it's just you guys are younger i'm just getting over that now I Every now and then i hear something and it really strikes the chord uh however but b- back to though your, your main point um uh, you know, real simple from my side, as you know, I expect, you know, the Fed has turned hawkish in the US, which means they're going to raise rates, going to reduce the uh, bond buying program that they do, which is called quantitative easing. And now, and, and I completely agree, Rich, that um, you know the, the Democrats are, are going to lose the House, they're going to lose the Senate, and then the um you know, the uh then the White House becomes a lame duck. I mean, they nothing will get done. So now all of a sudden the the world and this highs into my high probability event when, when it's my turn. But think about it now. We have the world's like biggest economy that controls, you know, the monetary levers and all that. So uh monetary policy is, is tightening at the exact same time when fiscal policy will be tightening as well. And we know what you know what that leads to, especially uh, you know for the emerging market world. So, what did you have? Something else, Steve? Or did, no, Rich, no, I wanted no, to Rich do is, my got his low low probability event here. Yeah, yeah. my low
1: probability event is um, so. What I think is possible, what I think is very very unlikely to happen.
2: Leaving is- Portugal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the montreal canadians are definitely not going to win the stanley cup um no i'm kidding the, the, the low property event, event is, is that tech repeats um as the best performing sector sub so if you look right now the best performing um industry sector is energy and then i'm talking about global um and then you have like real estate which is sort of financials and financials but what if you look at the industry subgroup which is something I look at a lot to see what's sort of going on. Um, you have a situation where you have like semi and semi-equipment uh, semi semi manufacturers have massively outperformed year to date. And then number four, and then it's energy, and then it's autos and components. And then number four is tech hardware and equipment. So basically two of the top four are basically some form of tech. And what I think is possible, but very, very unlikely, is you get a repeat of that in the, in the next year. I know it's a bit kind of esoteric. Sorry that you're a little bit technical and into getting into my world. But I just think, and then why does that matter for me, is I just think that this long-awaited, much-anticipated, heavily-debated rotation from, forgive the terminology, but from growth to value, I think is finally, 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 finally going to happen. Now, how that plays out which sectors what do you call growth what do you call value i mean people in my world argue about this all the time but i think fundamentally you're finally going to have a structural underperformance in tech and stuff now i know that's a that's huge like, call i'm like gonna the, get crushed the, in the comments but like that's like the widow baker trade that's like being exactly that's you know, exactly so that's hey, why i think it's a low it's a low <laughs> it's a low probability event i mean it's very possible we have no, yet another year that tech outperforms but i think if i just keep hoping eventually i'll be right
2: <laughs> hey steve can't you just steve can't you just picture rich and all of his friends here in the locker room this afternoon you know having the, having the argument over which which nerd subsector is going to outperform oh. Nerds.
1: <laughs> Nerd. nerd alert true it's true it's, what true, the show it's is true. all
2: about oh Um, but i mean
1: it's just been a long time right people have been i know i know people are gonna say oh like people have been talking about this for literally years like since 2015 there's been oh the rotation the rotation the truth is inevitably these things do somewhat mean i don't mean it's going to collapse back to 2000 levels in relative performance i just mean you just have other sectors that have been over the last few years unloved um, that have strong balance sheets, right? Keith, I mean, Keith's right. I mean, you have a situation where you have monetary policy getting tighter, not looser. You have, um, you have fiscal policy likely to get tighter, uh, like, uh, tighter, more restrictive, not looser. And I think in general, I think balance sheets will start to matter again. I think companies that have strong balance sheets, strong margins, um, that aren't necessarily tied to this cap rate long duration game, which is basically what happens when, you know, uh, and that's basically a lot of tech, right. When, and I know there's lots of good tech, so I'm not trying to talk about that. Um, you know, Apple has excellent margins and excellent balance sheet. And that's not what I'm discussing. I'm talking about the more speculative stuff that's been uh, You can relate that to the cap rate game in real estate. Right. Um,
2: and so that's, so that that's my angle on the low probability event. Speaking well you know there's lots of <laughs> but there's lots of great studies out there that that shows uh, sector leadership and performance during periods, uh, central bank uh, rate cuts and then central bank rate hikes. And what's what's really great now is that we've gone through probably 14 years without experiencing a period of rate hikes. So again, I think it's in, it's it's incredibly important. So all, a lot of institutional money out there, um, if you're running it, like if you're on an institutional desk or you're running that kind of money, uh, you're always in equities. So you never decide, Hey, let's get out. Cause remember it, that kind of money is very different than, you know, what mom and dad are, are running or, you know, people listening to us here today, because we, we have a very definite lifespan. Some people might have 20 years productive years left to do stuff, but, but these guys, you know, they, they look at it in, in you know, decades and centuries and stuff. So what they do then, they're always swimming in the equity pool and they're going to really like move from the deep end to the shallow end and and stuff like that. Uh, But everyone now, they're starting to uh, run their models to see, you know, which which sectors and subsectors, you know, they're running, anyone listening this world, like, they're running different multi-factor models, what would happen with rates going up, uh, credit spreads widening, inflation high and, and all that stuff. And, you know, you're able to determine which part of the market you want to be in. And that is happening.
1: So we've done a little bit of work on that, actually. Sorry. One last thing on that was we've done a little bit of work. The thing I forgot to mention was both that tightening fiscal policy and tighter monetary policy is in a world of a way above trend inflation. And that's just something we haven't really had in Decades, basically. Sorry, that's my old aspect. Yeah,
2: it, it's going to tip a lot of money over. Yeah, that like you can easily see that happening, and um, it's going to be I, fun. Again, I, I, <laughs> yeah, like, I love this market. I, I think we're it's it's so crazy and um, awkward, inconvenient, whatever word you want to throw at it. However, it's it's happening. We can't stop it, and it, it's just going to create some really great opportunities here coming up. It's just, so, which goes back to the earlier part of the. Uh, yeah. Keith, the, hit us
0: hit, the, us, hit us, hit us with your wisdom here.
2: Yeah, I remember earlier we we're talking about um, you know being able to change your mind and, and your perspective and, and stuff. And Mark, it's uh, th- this is it, guys. This is happening right now. So, uh, which does not lead into my high probability and low probability, but it's uh, I think they're pretty important. First of all, the high probability event for 2022. Uh, I'm going to tell a few more stories. I know that's going to happen. You can we can guarantee oh, you're that? Groan. <laughs> That's okay. Uh,
0: yeah, every, everyone, everyone's favorite. You're good for at least one good story per per episode.
2: <laughs> I know. I won't tell any more today. But my high probability event is um, a major emerging market country or economy is going to experience severe financial stress. So similar to what Turkey is. Yes, turkey what's, what with what's happening in, in Turkey right now. Uh, I think the conditions are set up for somebody else to experience a, a pretty severe event, and uh, then that'll have knock-on effects as well. And I'm not going to go all the details. I think we've already you know backed them around. But when you have all the central banks starting to raise rates, especially with the U.S. starting to raise rates, and it's always a relative game. So if you know if if the Yanks are starting to raise rates, and then Everyone else has to do it, you know, to keep up with them. Like again, it just it just sucks money out of the world, and then you have you know a, a less uh, fiscal spending coming out of the U.S. side as well. I, I think the screws are really going to be turned on somebody, and um, so that's going to happen I, again. I think that's a, a high probability event. Do you guys want to an, any additions to that, or you like, mean outside no? of Turkey? Correct. So like an
1: okay, cool. Yeah. So you guys yep. called that right? I mean, yeah, emerging. Really, data. I read your article. Uh, I read your note from a couple from a year ago, or whatever it was, and it was like spot on. So that's good for you guys. But I was just making sure it was outside of. We're gonna get another one, basically, and probably another one after that.
2: Yeah, because well, they I mean, you know it's yeah. not it one ties... roach. Go ahead. Right? Yeah, it's not one roach. Well, yeah, right? it all one. Yeah,
0: what's all tying into your earlier comments, right? With with Reg and whatnot is. The uncertainty around, uh, you know, we've got the the hawkish Fed and then the uncertainty around uh, fiscal as well in the US, right? And so that's just going to create, you know, I think to summarize for the viewers is, is your th- sort of thesis is it's going to create more uncertainty, stronger US dollar as that safe haven, uh, which is going to put stress onto these emerging markets.
2: And it, it ties in with Rich's uh, low probability event. You know, we talked about you know really sector rotation. That's what we would call it. So you're moving away. You know, we would call high beta sectors mm-hmm. or growth areas to more value, which means more defensive sectors. The emerging market world, whether it's in the credit market or sovereign debt market or equities, you know, that that's high beta. So you could, you know, like the the biggest joke every year in my world is every January everyone is super bullish on emerging markets. Put your money in emerging markets, and that year end is like, oh wow, that's a head scratcher. Like, for example, I was looking at the Hong Kong market this morning. It's now, it's now at its five year low again. Like, it's just, yeah, unbelievable. You would, you wouldn't think that everyone else has just been screaming higher, and in this market, but Hong you Kong know, they is have to... bust though. Hong Kong is bust. I mean, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, but what's going on there? Is just a complete. And they, did
0: just shut down another uh, major uh, news- newspaper company, right? Media company. Gone. Yeah, they got a few close. things.
2: Yeah, yeah. The I don't think the Looney Hour or Looney Show. I still don't know which one. There, uh, we wouldn't survive over there, lads. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. Yeah, that's crazy. So, man. but I, what I liked about this, what we're doing here today, I, I find everything is is connecting. You know, one with the other. So that's that's pretty good. Um, and then let's look at the uh, what's going to be our low probability lower, event. Yeah, lower probability event. Uh, so, for, for <laughs> I've, I've been banging on these guys for a long time. I, I like to call it the, uh, the economic fantasy land called Europe. Uh, I think it's not only a low probability event, it's a zero probability event Ooh, of the booyah. European Central Bank raising rates. It, it just ain't going to happen. So, um, you know, there, there are different ways to play that, but with everyone else in the world raising rates or talking about raising rates uh, these guys can't do it so um that and that has other investment implications as well as you we spread around so i really you know i look at my two events and i like both of them i think i'll be right on both i hope you are you're managing my money so <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: could, could we, are we going to do the most interesting or is that do we have enough time well, for that oh well,
0: i was going to comment on that rich can you could, can you confirm i know parts of europe but i mean these guys are blowing aren't these guys blowing massive housing bubbles over there like i know germany has oh, yeah. got oh germany's yeah. got a huge housing bubble right now right like i mean bubble in, in relative terms to the Germany yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in canadian terms it still looks very healthy um but um
1: yeah so just i mean bubble who knows if it's a bubble right it's always kind of an expert ex post thing you like look back and say it's a bubble but germany's housing market since 2010 has doubled doubled yeah i'll show that chart i'll show that chart it's doubled i mean the same i mean um house prices in netherlands are up 20 25 percent um you know in 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 france you know you're getting you know 10 percent year on year growth i mean even in spain and sorry even italy excuse me italy which has been just been abysmal for years and years and years you're finally getting you know five percent house housing growth um year on year which is for them that's a big deal so yeah Uh, everywhere
0: I'm just pulling up. Did you guys see this? uh, (laughs) Did you see this article? Um, It was in the Ireland, Irish news, Ireland times, Irish newspaper. It says (laughs) they're now, (laughs) they've now unrolled or unveiled uh, mortgages at seven times salary for the first time since Northern rock. Uh, And of course, if you're not familiar with Northern rock, I think, I believe it wasn't that bad. Didn't they go under it in in the financial crisis? Ireland blew this massive housing bubble. Well,
2: Northern Rock was the UK bank that was the first one that had the, the bank run. So, right, the, it was, it, it's infamous because you, you literally had the little old ladies lined up in the rain, waiting to get in to, to yank their money out. Uh, so, I, I think that took place around the same time as the pretty close to when the Bear Stearns funds uh, first went first went under. So it's um, crazy, eh?
0: That's that's I mean, good point. Speaking of which, because you know everybody, of course. It's always too late when you when you line up at the banks to go get your cash. Um I went into the bank in Canada the other day. Um don't ask don't ask why, but uh, I went to go pull five thousand dollars cash. I had to pay a couple people, a couple of trades people. And uh the guy goes like, did
2: you are set you, up a wait, wait are you saying you're in a cash business?
1: It's okay. Canada is the best country in the world to commit white collar crime. (laughs) You get my ask, and you're from British Columbia. You know all about that. (laughs) I said I had to. I had some Uh Christmas. We're gonna get in trouble for that
0: one. (laughs) Um, But anyways, I went to go get five thousand cash, and this guy, this this banker, was like, "Oh, five thousand cash." He's like, "Sir, did you set up an appointment?" we don't might not have 5,000 cash. If everyone came in here demanding 5,000 cash, we would not be able to, you know, and he was going on this like long spiel. He's very upset that I just walked in and asked for 5,000 cash. But um, yeah, I, I coming back to, to Northern rock there, the old, little old lady, right? Everybody just assumes that, um, you know, banks, you know, safe money and you can just pull it out whenever. I mean, in Canada, we have a little known, what is it? The, the, it's it was hundred thousand dollars is insured, but there's also in Canada we have a called a, a bail-in program. Are you guys familiar? Oh, I did with that? not
1: know. No, I did not know this. Keith probably knows. Yeah. So I, I used to cover the global
2: financial sector when I was offshore, so I can, I, I you know I can swim around the balance sheet pretty good on, on the bank side. Um, so I mean, first of all, with banks, I mean, they're, they're levered entities, so whatever like. Physical cash is just not used that much anymore anyway, especially in Canada. we we've really moved to that electronic side of the, of the world. Um, and then, of course, you know we always had that term you get bailed out. and you know no major Canadian bank has ever been in a position in, in our lifetime really where you know they had to get a, a bailout. I think maybe early 90s you know, royal trust back then ran in some of the insurance companies ran in their problems when the real estate market popped. You know their their balance sheet was full of that stuff, but like in terms of like the big five plus one or six today, uh, we don't have that. Because, however, because of the situation in Europe back in eleven or twelve, I think it was, um, when they said, yeah, we have to bail out, you know, uh, the Italians and 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 then, and the Spanish and and so forth, um, and the Portuguese. They bailed you out the
1: Germans, but
2: that's an episode. That's a, that's a conversation for a different day. They really
1: bailed out. Well, up that's the Germans.
2: just it. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't, the money went in and then out again, right? That, that's what happened. And you know, they got a, a big backlash for that. So instead of having a, a bailout, they do what's called a bail-in. That's what happened in, in Cyprus. So for Canadian listeners, what that means is if you're a bank, and again, th- there's nothing out there right now to suggest this is happening. So like, we're not scaremongering yeah. at all. We're just explaining Good. Good. that. Good. Yeah. So yeah. So please don't think Steve Sorewski is telling you to yank your money out of the yank the money out of the bank right uh, but what but the big difference though is what happened and then the canadian government then a few years ago they actually adopted this it's it's in the fine print somewhere uh, steve's friends in ottawa have all that information steve's an insider right you know all that now yeah i'm an insider but what, now but what happens though is instead of using public money to make the bank healthy again which means you can get your money out they would take your money. That's a deposit, and, and that's used to bail out people who lent money to the bank. Um, they still have that one hundred thousand in dollar insurance policy, basically for depositors, GICs, and stuff. But you know that if you have one hundred and ten thousand on deposit, then that ten thousand dollar becomes exposed or vulnerable. You know to that to that bailout if, or bail-in as they call it. And it's because like, these banks become too, so it, you cannot have one Canadian bank have a bank run. It, they're all the same. You can look at their balance sheets, you're, you're splitting hairs, that they're all in the same real estate markets, they're in the same commercial lending markets, the same credit credit card market, wealth management products, the, the only difference is the color of the shirt that you're wearing you're so, so cynical
1: keith how did, how-
2: <laughs> oh, that's, not, that's just being objective right? i'm kidding i'm kidding yeah, you're right I of mean, course you're right whereas if you go down to america you know you you have like you know four to five really big banks and then like you literally have hundreds of there's thousands there's, there's
1: thousands of banks and there's six yeah, thousand
2: U.S. absolutely and uh, that's not a bad thing right this is it's not a bad thing um so in Canada, if we do have some kind of event, the entire industry, you know will just get walloped with it, and the government cannot bail them out because they don't they won't be able to access money to do it. because remember with the Irish, for example, you go back to the Irish when when the uh, the eight nine crisis went down, um, the Bank of Ireland, they're, they're one of the big ones and uh, what's the other one rich the other Irish bank AIB RBS. No, no, that's the I British bank. The, the oh, Irish sorry, bank. but they had a lot of, uh, they owned a lot of British assets, uh, Irish assets, which yeah. is why I thought. But what happened though with, with the Irish banks, uh, you know, they got in trouble. And and like the next morning, um, you know, the, the prime minister in, in Ireland, he said, we're crossing the line right here. We're going to protect everyone's money. You don't need to worry about it. And, you know, I love the Irish because they're, you know, th- th- when they talk about It's like the worst thing you say, isn't it? No, I, I like the Irish and... Uh, but when, when they make an announcement, they say it in such a way, with such confidence, you look at them and you either, if you don't know them well enough, you say, my God, they're right. But if you do know them well enough, which in the money world we, we do, you know that they don't quite have the whole story. So what the whole story, what they were missing was that they were guaranteeing that Irish debt, could that the Ireland could continuously borrow to backstop their banks. And so A, they didn't realize how big their banks were. And B, they suddenly realized, oh my God, they can't borrow anymore. Because all of a sudden their rates went from two, three percent up to 10 or 12%. And they had to go running to the EU to say, now we need a bailout. You know, it, it all went circular in in the end. So you that's where what? you have that's where you have like the Troika, they call it in, in Europe. So you have the ECB, the European Union, and, and the IMF had to step in, and that's where they bailed out. They call it the pigs, of course, right? So Portugal, Ireland. Italy, yeah, and Greece, and Spain. I'm offended by that comment. Which
1: one? <laughs> <laughs> a quick, quick plug though. If anyone
0: wants to have like a more thorough um, breakdown of that whole unfolding, uh, fantastic book by Michael Lewis, who wrote The Big Short. He wrote a book called Boomerang, um, which is a fantastic book on. Um, on sort of that financial crisis, and, and really talks about some of these markets that just blew up spectacularly. I think he talks about Iceland um, and and Ireland, of course, um, which just suffered immensely.
2: Um, I have a story for you. Okay. <laughs> well, so, well back uh, in, me... <laughs> <laughs> so back in, in my Bermuda, one, like I was getting headhunters call me to go back to Canada all the time. And there's one guy calls so yeah, I represent uh, one of the Icelandic banks, it was Landesbank. And they said, "Yeah, we want to. We want you to go to uh, Canada and sell our uh, our ice savings account product." And I'm like, "Well, what is it?" And he said, "Well, it's a savings account. We pay out five and a half, six percent." And I'm looking. I'm thinking, how does that even happen? Like everyone is at one percent. How are you guys doing five or six percent? Oh, you know, we have financial ingenuity, innovation. You know, we we've been fishermen for for centuries, but now we really know banking. We figured it out. Anyway, I turned down the job. Of course, I said this ain't gonna work. This ain't gonna work. You know, then everything did fall apart. You know, like eighteen months later, but it's Didn't all pass tied the together. All How are they? Do you know? Yeah. Sorry. Did, did,
0: how do they? How are they
2: actually engineering that that yield? Well, so they, they, you know, they take their money on deposit. So they have to. If I have, if you give me your money and I have to pay you five percent, I have to earn more than five percent. So they're just taking a
0: massive risk, basically, is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. So they're so you so the way you earn more than five percent, you either take on a lot of credit risk, and or you leverage that up even more. So that's what they're doing. They're levered on poor credit. So then, when the you know the, the cards started tumbling down. Which which did happen, of course. You know, they got shut out immediately. So um, that's Speaking it. Speaking of
0: uh, contagion, systemic risk, and whatnot, I just found it interesting. I was reading a year-end report from from BMO. They always put out a they always put out a mortgage report in Canada, like a very in-depth one. <clears throat> you know, fifty. I didn't realize it. I mean, I always knew it was high, but fifty percent of all residential mortgages in Canada, like 50% of outstanding residential secured lending in Canada is is in Ontario. Sorry, can you repeat that slowly? So you you got the big six banks in Canada, right? So of all the secured residential real estate loans in Canada across these big six major banks, 50% of their exposure uh, is in Ontario.
2: So if Ontario got into trouble the banks Base,
0: basically what I'm saying is you can almost make an argument that if you're looking for signs or, or wobbles, like the, the Ontario housing market is basically systemic at this point.
1: It's like so the Toronto you know, housing market, like the greater they, Toronto area, is systemic, is where it really boils really, down to, right? Realistically, yeah.
0: I mean, it's like it's basically 50% of all.
1: So now just real estate loans just to take the other side of that argument because clearly it, i you know you know I, we've already talked about this and i agree with you on the whole but isn't toronto like 25 percent of canada's gdp and ontario like 40 percent of gdp you know what i'm saying like yeah don't get me wrong yeah. it's totally nuts I, I get it i mean it's well know, that, it's NX just like in common, yeah. blah 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 but to take the other side of the argument maybe it's not as crazy, don't get me wrong, it's clear no, we have no, too much I, debt. I agree.
0: I, I'm not I'm not not saying that just from a population perspective, but it's like almost like that's so why at some point it's like you know, we talk about these like national home statistics and blah 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 blah. It's like really like the only two markets you have to focus on are like Ontario and BC. Yeah, because yeah. BC is actually not BC is is number two in secured uh loans uh exposure across the big banks, but it's really it's just, it's just, a, just a, like nobody nobody talks about. Yeah. Nobody talks about like Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, like this, it's like a non story It's Like if you want to focus on like systemic risks in Canada, like you pretty much just focus on those two markets. And that's really why like, you know, I've got a Yahoo finance show and like all we talk about is Vancouver and Toronto. That's it. But the best value play I think in Canada in terms of real estate is, is probably in Alberta personally.
1: Crazy. Um, Can we um, – I know it's not my place to say, but can we – before we wrap it up, I really want to talk about just something we thought was interesting, if
2: that's okay with you. Keith? Who started no. first? I don't want to go
0: first. <laughs> no. Rich, go first.
2: I love how Rich is so bashful. Like, can we, can we kind of talk about numbers I just again? want to – I just know. The one thing I really want to just throw in there
1: as, like, the grenade for 2021 – is that the thing that was most interesting is everybody realized that fossil fuels are super, super important (laughs) in Europe. That's a good one. And I just, I I needed to just do that. I need to throw it in there. I posted
0: your chart again on Twitter yesterday. I got in a Uh, uh, a fight after a couple drinks, which was a mistake, um, with uh, a climate change activist. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, so I posted your chart on oil.
2: Uh Uh-oh but uh, was I'm sure it was an part. objective discussion. I posted a piece uh, f- from, a, I went to a dinner party last night with some friends and my, my friend is a really good, uh, like a pit master. So we cooked this big brisket last night and I posted that and, and guys were having like big discussions on what kind of knife he used to cut it, whether it was a bread knife or a, a, you know a steak knife. That's what Twitter is, right? It's just, really great conversations but back to rich's point though rich i think you are right that was an incredibly keen observation not by you but by what's happening but very few people i think really appreciate how important it was and it is going to continue i think to to drift over into 22 like not to over not to over egg it but like it just
1: it sort of popped the whole green bubble a little bit it just like showed everybody that like all these super aspirational things and again not making a value judgment all i care about i'm agnostic to climate change i'm agnostic to all this stuff all i care about is are these promises realistic yes or no and can you make money going either way on that trade and i just think mm-hmm. it was expo- it exposed it so that no, i also i, so I, I mean, needed to I, throw that in there i agree
2: Keep so my uh <laughs> Maybe that's my most, but uh, I think one of the most interesting market events I, you know, I sort of saw last year. Uh, I, I know I, I think over the last few shows I always mentioned it, but we never had a deep discussion on. But it really, it's these ARC funds, you know, oh, yeah. funds and these uh, Cathie Wood funds, and I mean, from from their look at the flagship fund, you know, from the peak in February to current, it, it must be down fifty percent. I think I'm just ballparking the, the actual number here. But the reason I find it so interesting because, again, we, uh, you know, we talked a lot of money has been flowing in these high beta type plays, which is a tech market and so forth. But what makes this fund, what what makes it catch my interest and a lot of other people as well, that it's attracted so many assets into it. But a lot of the positions in the fund that are really illiquid, So the way that she gets liquidity in the fund, because remember I mentioned earlier, if you're managing equities, you're always in equities. Like you don't set money aside for cash because that's that's an asset allocation decision which you make outside of that fund allocation. But within her fund, she gets liquidity by investing in the big cap tech names, you know, the Apples and Teslas and stuff like that. So you can see how those funds can quickly start tumbling down because if people all of a sudden decide, you know what, I made money this year, I got to close this for tax reasons or whatever you know one one event triggers the other and it comes down pretty hard but you know see like so I'm in a regulated industry both Canada and the U.S. and I can say certain things and I cannot say a lot of things but she made a statement last week or a week before I don't know if you guys caught it or not uh, but she said uh, the fund should make 40 percent annual returns over the next five years and I'm reading this I think are you kidding me if if anyone else even suggested that, you know, you're you're getting a knock on the door that afternoon, you're getting fined and censored and all kinds of bad things are coming your way. She just retracted the next day, changed the letters she wrote. And I haven't heard boo about it since. So um, for the regulators that are listening, you might want to knock on Kathy's door and (laughs) find out what she's saying. But again, it's the whole ARC funds and, and, you know money chases returns but that that thing is pretty big and and you know that fund in itself you know can be like like an event from turkey for example or emerging markets it it could be one of these events that that triggers you know money to, to run to some other part of the market how about you steve what, what caught your attention last year
0: yeah i think it's the uh <laughs> the youngest guy on the show here um I'm gonna take the lead on the I think the most interesting is the the emergence or the mainstream adoption of the crypto space. Um I don't I don't consider myself an expert, but I've been following it. I, I got into Bitcoin in 2018, uh post the big sell-off in 2017. Um, just slowly was dollar cost averaging. And I've been kind of following and tracking the space just with with interest, because I think there's a lot of interesting use cases that will emerge over the next, you know to 5 years. And um yeah, trying to follow more and more people in that space that are much much smarter than I am, but I just think it's very interesting to see um we haven't d- done a lot of discussion on the show about it, but um Canada for for all its lack of ingenuity and productivity, etc, uh, is actually leading the charge uh in many respects in in terms of what's happening in the crypto space, a lot of good companies uh, are being born uh, here in Canada. We've of course got uh, looser regulation, so we've seen like you know Bitcoin ETFs, Ethereum ETFs have actually been started in Canada. They're still not approved um, in the U.S. Uh, that's been an ongoing uh, debate with the SEC. Uh, and so yeah, I think that's that's kind of the thing that I find the most interesting. I think it's you know, Rich, we talked about this pre-show, but I think it's a space where yeah, people have to know that it's. It's definitely a high-risk, high-reward asset. There's going to be some coins and tokens and NFTs and stuff that go to zero. Um, feels very much, you know, I wasn't active in this part, but, you know, people sort of signal it as the sort of the dot-com boom, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of fraud happening and, and stuff like that, but I do think there's going to be some, some really good use cases and there's going to be a lot of wealth, I think, that is created in parts of that space. So that's kind of what I'm most interested in right now.
2: That story was huge. I mean, it was everyone's talking about, you know, crypto and and, and you know, they use Bitcoin is the the generic phrase for it, of course. But what what I like about it now, though, I think a lot of the euphoria that we had in the first half of the year that's that, that's largely gone because I don't hear people talking about it too much anymore, unless you're, you know, you're in that echo chamber. You know, that exists for everything these days. Yeah, so I think yeah, I think the more that it settles down, the more it actually it has the the opportunity. To uh, you know, maybe become you know a, a component of you know, people's portfolios out there. So I'm not yeah, that, actually, I'm not saying um, it should be or it shouldn't, but it it has to grow to that point where it's it's or it's right. you adopt it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's no longer like the number one thing out of your mouth when you talk about markets, because um, you know, there's always a, a cool market out there make or lose money in. But uh, that was definitely an attention getter, a lot more interesting than. Um, what did Rich talk about again? I even forget. No, I don't know what it was. <laughs> the energy
1: crisis. Oh, the energy <laughs> crisis. Sure. So one yeah. thing on Bitcoin, I think you just so I I agree with you guys both ends. Um, on on your kind of summary, Steve, as usual, you did a really good job. And then on on Keith's sort of more pragmatic approach to it, I was just gonna say, I think to me, going forward, I mean, the key, the word that I think people are afraid of is to me the big green light. Um, you double down on it is regulation from the U.S. Uh, I think as soon as they start regulating it, I think it's, it, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, off to the races. I think in a perverse way, the more you regulate it, the more boring it gets, the more uninteresting, so to speak, it gets well, and the more attractive for me personally, it would get.
2: So if That's you're a, a regulator, point. but if you're a regulator right now, you're always looking, okay, what can we, what can we touch next? And if I'm the regulator and I see this crypto market come out of nowhere, I'm thinking, I want my hands on that. And what people don't realize in, in the investment industry, there are there's not one regulator. There are a ton of regulators yeah. out there, right? And each one is fighting for, you know, control over one turf over the other. And um, so a key thing with the whole crypto space, you know, there are futures markets on it now, of course. So, you know, so that leads it over to the CFTC side, away from the SEC. Um, if you're getting bored with that, then, you know, it's, it's something you you should be aware of, but the more regulators do get involved with something, uh, you know, they, they do it to try to protect investors. That, that's the main reason for doing it. And, and they do provide a lot of great policies for that, but it does provide more. And this, yeah, this is more, a conversation more, for, yeah, another, yeah, for another time. For, sure.
0: for another time. We'll, we'll expand on this, we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but I will say just to kind of quickly last sort of comment on this is Regardless of your views, again, being trying to be agnostic um, about how you feel about cryptocurrencies, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, every central bank is working on a central bank digital currency. Every single one of them, even the Bank of Canada, which is probably years and years behind. Um, I think that's where we're going. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, great resets and what is money and... Central banks becoming married with federal, you know, the federal government, it's all going, I think, in that that space and central banks are actively looking at it. So I think that uh, I think it's going to form a part of our financial system um, in the years ahead. So, uh, but we'll, we'll get into that in, in a future episode. This has been a, a splice as always, uh, happy new years to all of our listeners We went a little bit over time for today's show, but, uh, hopefully a little treat of what's to come in 2022. Uh, God bless and thanks for all your support.